And I instinctively decide to answer the phone. I'm like, hello. Hey, Adam. Jay Leno. No. <laughs> I'm like, my heart just He dropped. called you directly? <laughs> Calls me directly. I'm like, what, what's happening? What's going on right now? Hey, and thanks for coming back to Please Don't Tell Anyone. I'm Molly Clark, your host, and this is the podcast where you hear unexpected stories by ordinary people. I go and blind to all my interviews so that I can hear the story firsthand just like you. Don't tell anyone. I said, please don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. I said, please don't tell anyone. Please don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. I said, please don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. So I kind of know what you're going to talk about today, but not a really. Bit. There's a lot of it that you don't know. Yeah. I basically, if you had applied online... My guess is your application would have said, I told my parents I was still in high school, but really I had college. Already, college. Sorry, I told my parents I was in college, but I had really dropped out. Kind of. What would you have said? Like, what's your I would have said line? I dropped out of college and pretended to go to school for an entire semester. My parents still have no idea. To this day? To this day. How long ago was that? This is spring 2016. Okay. Freshman year. Um, you're not going to be anonymous on this. No. According to the release that you just signed. You now own me. I own you. For eternity. Your name is Adam Faze. Yes. We know each other. Yes. Not incredibly well yet, but we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, but I really don't know much about your past. I know you're from LA. I know we have like some mutual friends, you know, dripped in there. From Natasha Huntley. Natasha Huntley. Shout out. Shout well, out. she didn't sign a release, but I don't really care. She didn't know. Now she's in it. Yeah. We've just kind of like met and, and connected. Do you want to say how we know each other? Yeah, we know. Does your audience sure, plug, know about? No, no, no. You can plug it. Um, basically, Adam just ran a crypto dating show. This is how I pitch it. Mm-hmm. This I was on the show called Mad Realities. Well, the show is actually called Proof of Love, but I referred to the whole thing as Mad Realities. It was some sort of like crypto NFT dating show. To this day, I really don't know how those things were. Completely. For the record, it's not like starring people who are in crypto. No. It, just, it was funded by NFTs. No. How I explain it is it's like the Hunger Games. Have you heard my explanation No, of this? I'd love okay. to hear. It's like the Hunger Games. It's like if um, the District 1 richest people picked like the the peasants or the people in the Hunger Games to, to vote on. They were sitting there like kind of with their popcorn. They put their money on people. But imagine that without people dying, but it's like love-based, The Bachelor. So kinda. they kind of get to decide everything that's happening. Yeah. But they're, they're, they're paying their money to kind of control things. They are. I mean, I don't think it's that dystopian. No, it's not. But I do think it's like funny to think about it as like the worst Black Mirror episode of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so that you kind of ran that. My friend Sarah... Uh, is, was my connection to you through that, and I was uh, the mystery couple with another lesbian, and we lost, but we had a great time. You got third place. Mm-hmm. Not bad. Yeah. So take me back, 2016. I actually, I think it's more important to start yeah, even earlier. I was going to say, let's go. I think we go back to high school. Yeah. yeah. So I grew up in L.A. Mm-hmm. I knew from the time I was like aware of what I wanted to do. I, I knew I wanted to be in the film industry. Um, my family doesn't come from the film industry. My dad is Persian, so he obviously wanted me to be a lawyer, not a filmmaker. That definitely was not remotely in the cards. Um, And so I went to this all-boy high school in L.A. called Loyola High School. Mm -hmm. Um, Loyola or Loyal? Loyola. Okay. 
I was like loyal. We're that's very it. loyal though. Yeah. No. I, I think it was like the absolute worst school for me to go to. It's an amazing school. It was horrible for me to go to. But I actually also think that's like why it was the right school for me to go to. Because it made Why? Me... Was it not artistic driven or not? It, it's almost like a, like a West Point. It's kind of like a yeah. military school. Um, and everyone is amazing at sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was laughably like so bad at sports that it's like painful to this day to even think about it. I, I broke my leg trying out for the track team. That, okay. That's another story. Did you have to day. do a sport? My parents wanted me to do a sport. Of course. Good parents. Wow. Um and the kids who weren't the most athletic were like champion of the debate team or 4.5 GPA. I was in no th- neither category. So I was just like the kid that wanted to make movies. Mm-hmm. He was being made fun of because he wanted to make movies, um, which is also surprising considering it's LA, LA. And like, yeah, you think everyone becomes one of these families. Not at this school. That's um, so strange. I would have really thought that. And so junior year of high school, I, for the first time, realizing like this is going to end soon. I don't know what I'm doing next. I want to go to film school, but like I don't even have a connection to get into film school right now. And so like I might as well just do the we don't the, even have like a digital video class at my school. Mm-hmm. And so at some point in my junior year, I was like, I want to do a film festival year, and we'll like invite films from around the country by other students, and they can win prizes. And like let's see if I can put this thing together. What year is this? Sophomore? Twenty. This is now fall 2013. Okay, right but spring 2014, what year for you? Junior year of high junior school. Junior year of high school. And I bring it up to my school. And they're like, great idea. It's our 150th year anniversary. It's the oldest school in California. Wow. Um, I'm surprised they didn't. Jesuit. I, again, I'm pretty shocked that they didn't have at all. a film program. And they were like, look, we don't have the resources to allocate anything for this. So, like, if you do it, it's, like, your own thing. But, like, mm-hmm. we don't, we can't support this. It can't be a part of our calendar. Like, this is not a school-sanctioned event. So I spent a week thinking, this sucks. This was, like, my one big break. And I thought I could do something here. Um and then I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this anyway. Yeah. Like, I really want to do this. This is like, I've, I feel like there's something here and I really want to go through with it. And so I called it the Loyola Film Festival. Mm-hmm. I put out, I, I think the first thing I started doing was I emailed probably every single school in the country. I like sent. High school? High school. I would go to like, literally like every school in California, every school in New Jersey, every school in New York. And I would go to their websites I, instead of like focusing in class, which I probably should have been doing. And I would go to their directory and go to, like, the digital video professor, or, like, the arts professor, and I would email them the mm-hmm. same copy-paste, just saying, well, I'm from Loyola doing. High School, yeah. it's 150th year anniversary, and we're doing the Loyola Film Festival. I was, like, talking on behalf of the school. Yeah. Definitely shouldn't have done that. But submissions started rolling in. I was then like, I need prizes, I need a guest speaker, I need sponsors. And so I looked through the school auction catalog, because mm-hmm. it was, like, about to be the big auction for the year. And there was one person who donated tickets to go see Spider-Man or something. It was like some screening. I was like, this is my person. Mm-hmm. Um, and was a woman named Kira Fiola, who's like incredible and been like such a friend ever since. But she happened to be an awards uh, publicist for the studio. So like anytime it'd be the Oscars at the Golden Globe, she would be like the campaigner that's like booking the interviews and booking what show they should go on to, to promote the movie. Okay. Um, and so I hit her up. I was like, my name's Adam Faze. I'm a junior at Loyola High School. I'm putting this film festival together and I'm wondering if you can help me with anything. And she loved the idea and she quickly was saying that she maybe had an in to this guy, Michael DeLuca. He's like an iconic Hollywood producer. But at the time, he was the co-head of film at like Columbia Pictures. Okay. Um, so she says, like, write me a letter to him and I can maybe get it his way. I write him a letter. I tell him the whole spiel, who I am, why I'm doing this. And he agrees to be the guest speaker. It's like the greatest news ever. And yeah. meanwhile, I like cold reached out to SAG AFRA. They came on as a sponsor, LACMA. This is like it was like all that was coming together. The time for you. And oh so I, God. I like I need to get the news out. And I create this press release 
that is the Loyola High School emblem on it. It's like, we are pleased to present. I write a press release on behalf of my high school, and I send it out. Did you have a, a marketing department at your high school? Like, yeah, of course. Did they, Were they okay with what They was didn't happening? know. Okay. And so I sent this out, thinking that this is something you're allowed to do as a yeah. junior in high school. And I got a writer back. A writer from the LA Times hit me back. And they said, like, we want to run this story. This is amazing. And so they run the story. They announced Loyola High School announces 150th year anniversary, film festival, all this stuff. And the next day I get called in the office and it's like the entire academia board. <gasps> They're like, who did this? Like, we don't, no one sent a press release out. We actually told you we're not even doing this film festival. Like, oh my how did this come out? And obviously I had to like apologize profusely, but at this point it's already a thing and they but can't. But why would they be mad? I mean, it's a positive thing. I think thing. just because it wasn't their thing. Like yeah. they just, it, they had nothing to do really with it. really weird about that shit. Mine did the exact same thing. Yeah. And because it was their 150th year anniversary, there were so many things they'd already planned. Mm-hmm. But at this point they can't pull back. There's like a guest speaker, there's mm-hmm. all these huge corporate sponsors. Like they have to actually let it go through with it. Um, and so the show keeps moving along and I even got even luckier and one day I look at in my inbox and there's an email from this reporter, Brooks Barnes, at the mm-hmm. New York Times. He's like, hey, I hear you're doing the film festival. I really want to write a story about this. And like kind of maybe also that the school didn't really want you to do this and that sort of thing. Oh, so that got around too. That got around too. And I, I refused. I was like, I'm never going to talk badly about the school. I still never will. Mm-hmm. I, if tef- looking back, I think back then I was like, oh, like, screw you. But looking back, I'm like, I was such a jerk. I, I, I just did this on my own. Yeah. Um, and so... I knew this was probably the only time that anyone in the industry would ever know who I was. And so I tell the reporter, I'm looking for a summer internship. Can you mention that I just am looking for a summer internship? Mm-hmm. And that became the end of the article. The next day, it says, like, in a report, in an email to a reporter, Adam asks if he can mention that he's looking for a summer internship. The next day, the school went from, like, having a slight idea of who I was and, like, being really annoyed that I was doing this thing to having, like, 100 phone calls from, like, around... LA, all these production companies and studios saying like, hey, we'd love to offer Adam like an internship. Oh it was insane. God. And it was like the first thing you realize that media like the New York Times is just like, it's so important. It's insane. Like yeah. people really, really, it, it just travels. Word travels fast. Um, so I did a, a summer internship that summer with a Where? producer, with this guy, David Permit. He okay. did like Hacksaw Ridge, He's, but he did Face Off. He's been around forever. What made you pick them versus... He was this 70-something-year-old Hollywood producer, and he just... Like, legendary. Legendary in the way that, like, I think he's not... He wasn't at the time making things as big as he used to, but he's just... Everyone has a story about him. Yeah, and you were like, I can learn from this guy. And he knows, like, every actor from the 20s and 30s and 40s. Like, he just knew every story in Hollywood. And I was like, this is just, like... Same mentor moment. This is just, like, I want to learn from Mm -hmm. this person. So I worked for him that summer. I did a second year of the film festival. Um... And I'm getting close to graduating. And I thought that this would be enough to get into film school. And my yeah. dream was to go to USC film school. It's mm-hmm. the only thing I wanted in life. Mm. Didn't get in. Horrible oh, we talked life. about this the I other night because I said. Cried I, myself to sleep. Oh I, this my was like God. my big break. I, it, it was going to happen. Um, Holy shit. I got into NYU. And I started getting excited about the idea of living in New York. I'd always loved New York. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. To think we could have gone to I NYU know. together. What year were you? 2019, I graduated. I would have been 2019. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Different conversation. We would have been in the same class. Um, but who knows? Maybe and I was just like, I'm not ready yeah. for this yet. Yeah. I, I, I'm just starting to meet people in L.A. I don't think it's smart for me to all of a sudden try to go to New York and start a new life. Yeah. Like, I'd rather kind of like stay here and keep meeting people. Yeah. Ironic, because now you're in New York. I know. Um, and I, at that point, realized 
my only option was to like go to community college because my parents. No way. There was, I was no not world. expecting you to say that. What about Chapman? What there about was Loyola no, Marymount? I only applied to UCLA and USC, and I didn't get into either. So the, the LA options were out the window. Actually, I think I got into Chapman. They have a good. No, I didn't apply. I don't think I applied. Uh, see, when I did my LA visit, I did an amazing all those school. school. Yeah, it's an amazing. School. I think for me, it was like if I stay in LA, it's to stay in LA, not to go to Orange County. Okay. Have a lot of family. What about there. Loyola and Marymount? I'm just curious now. Um, I just didn't apply. Right. Okay. But it's also a great school. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I thought I was a shoe in. I was like I I, I thought started this story, whole thing you were a and like too. you know what I mean. Um, but it's a really competitive school and it's like a one percent. I, mean, I didn't have the best grades. Yeah. I think I probably like a three or something because uh, I was doing this stuff and um, my parents would have killed me if I dropped out. So I just I signed up for Santa Monica College and I enrolled. And right around this time. I was wondering, like, how do I keep working in the industry? Like, what am I supposed to do next? And a friend of mine, it was right around the time that Serial came out. So podcast mm-hmm. wrote the big word. Mm-hmm. It's so funny you say that because I only heard about that podcast this summer. I uh, turned in oh, LA really? and I listened to it oh, it's amazing. in LA that whole summer. Except it doesn't end. There's no ending. No, there's no ending. It drives me crazy. Yeah. I, like, did this whole thing and yeah, then it's, yeah, yeah. it doesn't end. Great podcast, though. Um, someone said, you, you love talking to people in the industry. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just start a podcast where you, like, ask people questions about how they got to where they are today and then, like, get advice for yourself. And maybe you'll learn a thing or two. This is now your 18. I'm 17 going on 18. Okay. That that conversation, I I think, happened right after I didn't get into USC. So this is like May 2015 at this point. And so I decided to call it a leg up. And I got really lucky because... You keep getting lucky, bro. There's a lot of lucky times. Um, Sony had just been hacked. And there was this big WikiLeaks dump. And every email from Sony that ever had happened, Sony Pictures, was now public. So you could literally go on this database, it's still up today, um, and you could type in the name of anyone that you think would maybe be in the Sony database from like the executives that worked there mm-hmm. or agents or actors. There was even like George Clooney was in there. Mm-hmm. And his email was like the real Batman at B.com <laughs> or something. He changed it. I tried. Trust me. Um, and I emailed all these people saying, I'm 17 years old. Yeah. I'm starting a podcast. I'd love to interview you about how you got to where you are today and what your advice is for myself. And I got really lucky because I think people, one, like love helping the next generation. But also I was a 17-year-old in their inbox. They're like, how do you even have my email? Yeah. Um, and so that's how I got a lot of the interviews. It was like John Lesher, who I ended up working for, was this producer who did Birdman, um, the Duplass brothers, who were so much fun and probably my favorite interview to this day. Um, and one of the other interviews was uh, Jay Leno. How did you get that interview? So I, I like, am baffled. <laughs> I was at a taping of Real Time with Bill Maher because I had in, that was a, a story for another time. I interned there when I was like okay. sixteen, and I My mom from that actually. point on, I like would go on every Friday night because it was a fun thing to do. They like, yeah. actually filmed it live, and anytime there was a guest that I wanted to talk to, I I would like go because I was like, you know what, like um, yeah. I can still get away with this. And so Jay Leno was on, and it was right before I launched the podcast. So I'd have, I had a few interviews in the bag, but nothing that I like knew was like good enough yet. So I go up to Jay Leno. Mr. Leno, name's Adam Faze. As an intern? Yes. So I would have gotten, mur- like, I'm thinking of my Jimmy Fallon internship, I would have gotten big, Oh, my God. Of course. Yeah. As a Mr. Mr. Leno, so sorry to bother you. My name's Adam Faze. I'm 17. I have this podcast. It's coming out. I would really love to interview you. And he's like, sure, sure. Like, call my, like, here's a number. Here's this assistant's number, whatever. So the next day, I, like, I'm, like, trembling. I'm, like, calling the assistant. And she's this older Eastern European woman. And she, like, takes down my info. And she's like, okay, like, I'll, I'll see if Jay wants to do this or can't do this. Um, two nights go by. I'm like, okay. Well, that was a nice yeah, way. you're like, I'm never here. I'm, I'm never, never here. But it's like, whatever. Like, you, you, you shoot your shot. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it happens. The house phone rings at, like, 8 p.m. The house phone? My, like, my parents. Phone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, we had cell phones. This wasn't. I, I don't, why did you give them no, a house phone? I don't know. Maybe I gave both. Okay. 
And I didn't usually answer the phone because I was like, it's my mom's phone. Like, mm-hmm. that's it's my grandma calling. And I instinctively decided to answer the phone. I'm like, hello. Hey, Adam, it's Jay Leno. No. I'm like, my heart just He dropped. called you directly? <laughs> Calls me directly. I'm like, what, what's happening? What's going on right now? Um, and he's like, yeah, like, whenever you want to come, you want to come next week? Go, oh, sure. Like, That's come on impression. Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Horrible impression. I'm so sorry for everyone listening. Um, and I, he invited <laughs> me to come to his. Yeah. yeah. Trust me, there's a lot of that already. <laughs> um, he invites me to his garage. And he's like, we'll just do an interview this one day. Did this interview. Some of the most amazing advice that I've ever been given in my life, including... Do you want to share that with the world? Yeah, including one of the things that I, I didn't agree with him at the time that I think I ended up learning. The, the advice way. that Jay Leno gave Adam Faze. Was go to school not because you're going to learn anything, but because it's an excuse uh, to give yourself time to think. And so no one's going to be asking you, what are you doing right now? Mm-hmm. Like, what's what's happening? You're going to say, I'm a student. And it doesn't really matter. That's like the end of the conversation. And then you can continue to like try to do your thing yeah, and write judged. scripts or make whatever. And I remember sitting there being like, you're so wrong. Yeah. I'm not going to go to school. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to community college, but, like, let's see how long that lasts. So flash forward, this, the podcast comes out. Um, it ended up doing, like, fairly well. It was actually, like, top 10 TV and film podcast. Um, other story there, how that happened, but it's not really important. Yeah. Um, I'm in community college. I'm just miserable. I've never been so miserable in my entire life. And is just, the podcast like the only thing keeping you happy? Podcasts keep me happy, but my parents, it's not like, it's when I could go to my parents and say, like, I want to pursue this now. Mm-hmm. They're like, this is nothing. You got to yeah. go to USC. Also around this time, I remember I reached out to a reporter for Forbes. I was just trying to get any coverage I could get on the podcast. And so I reached out to them and they came back to me saying, don't really think we can write about this, but if you want, we have this contributor program and we'd love for you to write for Forbes. Mind you, I, I know that sounds amazing. Forbes.com is a little different than Forbes. It's mm-hmm. like a huge kind of freelance contributor thing. Okay. And also, I'm like kind of of the thinking of I don't want to be part of a club that wants me as a member. I was mm-hmm. like, if they're asking me and I'm 18, like maybe it's not the most amazing thing. But for anyone that you interview, like they think you're running for Forbes. Yeah. And this is like a really cool opportunity. And maybe yeah. I can use it for something. So I started writing for Forbes. I... Um, wrote a lot about the Chinese box office. Wow. It was around the time that China's box office was exploding. Everyone was like, it's going to take over the U.S. any day now. So I became like the China guy. And I just would write all so these articles about the box office. E- so much so that I... Did you go to China? I wanted to. I, I tried learning Mandarin. It, it was going to be like my whole life. You and were going to be the China box office And then I, it just it kind of fell by the wayside. But I got hit up by someone who worked for Chinese state television. Mm. And they said, Adam, we'd love to have you come on Chinese state television to talk about the Chinese box office. And I remember, I I look, I don't even know why I said this. I responded saying, essentially, I'm 19. Like, I I don't, I can do this. I don't know if you want me to do this. Mm -hmm. They're like, no, no, no. It's like, we would love to have you on. Looking back, I'm like, of course. I'm sure they wanted me to preach the, uh, evangelize the beauty of the China, Chinese box office. And so I did it a few times. The clips are on YouTube. They're, they're painful for me to watch, but it's really, really funny. I'm like 18, 19, I'm like super nervous in a suit and I'm just, just preaching these like facts in English? that I memorized. Yeah, it was like the English language channel. And I'm just preaching these facts that I memorized like on the car right there. Like, okay, the Chinese box office is 13 billion. It's going to be 17 billion next year. Like just facts. Okay. So I had all this stuff going on. It was like things were happening. It wasn't like I had the big break, but mm-hmm. I was working and I was talking to people and I was working for producers. And I was just was miserable in school. I just couldn't. I couldn't wake up another day. I'm in math class. I am just. Not, I remember I like would have my notebook and instead of taking any notes, I literally was just like doing brain exercises of 
trying to remember every memory from being a kid. Like, what happened in this year? and What happened in that? I just was like, anything to take me out of being in Santa Monica College, which is a great school. It's just, I was, well, again, brain The right moment for you. Beginning of second semester, I get a notification on my phone that it's South by Southwest, mm-hmm. the festival. I had, like, just enough money in my bank account to afford going on a trip there. What do you mean a notification? Like, like it's like I put it in my calendar. Okay. Like, all the festivals. Like, Cannes, South got by. Got it, got it, got it. And I, real, I, I, like, started looking at Airbnbs. I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go to South by Southwest. I know nobody there. I'm mm-hmm. 18. Um, I just want to go and meet people and, like, see what a film festival is like. So I buy my ticket, buy my, get my Airbnb. And I get there, save for some being nervous that I was going to, you know, events and stuff and literally knew nobody. It was the only time I ever picked up smoking because I would buy a pack of cigarettes and I realized if you go to the smoking section, mm-hmm. no one really minds if you're alone. And that's actually kind of how you meet a lot of people because everyone's like, you have a cigarette and then you start talking that's and they're like, smart. hey, you know, you should do this. Sorry, mom and dad. Only time I ever picked up smoking. I feel like you have a bigger apology to them in a minute. Let's but get to that go. in a second. <laughs> and I got there and I just, I met all these people and I remember thinking, this this is where I need to be. I'm like, I, this, I am so happy. I'm surrounded by other creative people. I'm surrounded by people that are working. Surrounded by smokers. Surrounded by a lot of chain smoking. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the chain smokers, no, though. It's a different story. Different story. I was like, I don't want to go back to school. I got to just start working. I, yeah. I have nothing, there's nothing that's going to change if I get a degree. I know what I want to be doing. I know enough people that I can just start working. I'm not, I'm not going back to school. I'm just not doing this. So I had that moment. Get back on my plane. Go to L.A. I wake up if the alarm goes off. And I was just like, I'm not going back to school. I'm just not going to do it. If I said that to my parents, I would have been on the street the next day. That really? was not. They actually would have kicked you out. That was not an option whatsoever. Were you living at home? You weren't living in a dorm? I was not. I don't know. No, because like Santa Monica, like yeah, community college, like you live at yeah. your parents' house. I dressed for school, mm-hmm. got my backpack, got my car, and I just drove to a coffee shop. I was like, that's it. I'm never going to school again. From that point on, for the entire semester, I would leave my parents' house at 8 a.m. every mm-hmm. day, come back at like 5.30 p.m. You stuck to the schedule. And I stuck to the schedule. And on most days, I was actually just like interning for producers. And I would just go to their office. I'd do my work. But I would come home and pretend that I had just finished class. And yeah. I, it was like this weird... Miley Cyrus, Hannah Montana, double life. What started happening with professors and classes and... I withdrew for all my classes. Okay, so it's not so like not people were being like, where is that? They know I'm not coming back. Yeah. Just my parents can never find this out. Who was paying tuition at that time? This community college is like $500. Okay. Um, and so I, it wasn't like... It was actually, if I'm... I could NYU be wrong money. on that. No, exactly. And that was actually one of the reasons I didn't want to go to NYU is I kind of had a feeling I was going to drop out. Yeah. And it was going to be a combination of my parents helping pay and student loans. Yeah. I was like, imagine I go to NYU for two years and there's like $150,000 down the drain. For what? I knew totally. I wasn't going to go to school. You did. You saved a lot of money. And I, th- I, again, I could be wrong on this. I think it was early enough in the semester that I actually ended up getting refunded the money. So it was like clean Fine. break. Who cares? Were you paying, like, I'm asking this only because like for future semesters yeah. where your parents like, here's the check for. I think, I can't remember, but I think so okay. just because it was so nominal. It was like, it was, um, you know, not that that's an insignificant amount of money, but no, it was but compared to the university. you didn't feel like horrible pocketing. No, no $500. Yeah. I have a question. Please. Yeah. When you would come home. Yeah. For dinner. Yeah. What would you talk uh, We have a, we have a. Uh, a guest in A room. guest in the room who just raised their hand, a fan. And asked, when you'd come home for dinner, what would you talk about? School. 
I would talk about school. What would you say? I would say they'd say how class. I'd say horrible because I, I wanted them to know that I hated school. Yeah. So they so I was like prepping them because I was going to so tell them even... I was going to I knew I was going to tell them that summer that I wasn't going back. You but didn't I just even couldn't test the waters, though, of like, Hell no. how would you guys feel if I just, you just knew I their reaction? I know. Do you stand by that knowing to this day? I think them finding out about this now, I'm so sorry. I think now they would be fine with it. Mm-hmm. But I'm like even still nervous talking about it because I'm like, it's just, it's like a lie. I yeah, lie. It is a lie. But um, it's, a, it's a good lie. Around this time, I was helping a friend of mine. His name's Tony Mancia. Great mm-hmm. guy. Um, he was t- exactly 10 years older than me, so uh, he was 28. Mm-hmm. And he was producing this indie film, and I was craft services mm-hmm. with my friend Lele. Baller. It's like 40-person crew, and we just bought like all these ingredients from Costco. And yeah, I was like working in a kitchen runs. the size of this dining room table mm-hmm. and cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner for like everybody on set. So he And I never got a dollar out of this. This was just yeah, like, you never yeah, but I'm like, whatever. I wanted to be on a film set. This is like my dream. And so he felt like he owed me something after this. And he said, you know what? I'm, I go to the Cannes Film Festival every year. If you find a way to go to the Cannes Film Festival, I have a couch. And you can sleep on the couch. Um, Basically, if you pay for your flight. Yes. Everything else will be fine. Yeah. Obviously, I'm going to go to the Cannes Film Festival. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That's How much was the flight? Dream. This is where I'm very lucky. And then my parents are amazing. They had a shit ton of airline miles. And so I just made this convincing pitch. And this is where I feel really bad. I was like, I'm doing really well in school. Ooh. I like just know that I should go there. I, I when am I gonna have an opportunity like this? Do you know how expensive it is to find a place to stay there? Like Tony's offering me to stay on his couch, all this stuff. They get me, they're like, as long as you're doing well in school, we'll do this one thing for you. They get me the flight, I go. It's amazing. It's can. Like it's yeah, everything you've I ever read about. It there's some parts where they're like pretty disgusting and horrible. Yeah. I think I was too young to know those parts though. Mm-hmm. I was like very innocent at this age. I also I never drank. I never did drugs. Like I just was not that was that I didn't even have my first drink really until I was like 21, 22. Um it's amazing though. And Tony and I together, I actually had knew, known enough people now. This is actually a really good story too. Tell it. It was a really good story. I was getting ready to do the Cannes Film Festival. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have business cards. I'm like, what the fuck am I going to say? I'm not a director. I'm not a producer. I'm not a bullshitter. I'm not going to say that I'm any of these things that I'm not. And also, even if I did, what business card doesn't say you're a director or producer? Like, that's no one's going to remember who you are yeah. from the other million people. People want labels. It's like, I am probably the youngest person that's here. Did you put that on the business card? So I put on the business card, the kid. I just said, Adam Faze, the kid. <laughs> That's good. I was a, the pretentious asshole that I was. So yeah. I just had my, my number and my email. And I gave this business card to every single person I met. And it just became a thing. Like Everyone at the Cannes Film Festival was like, there's the kid. And later on, a year later, I came back to the festival and everyone's like, I'm sorry, I don't remember your name. But I just, I think you're the kid. Are you not the kid? Um, and so the, the festival was amazing. I had known enough people at this point that I actually was even helping Tony get into parties too. So it was like this perfect opportunity where he'd help me get into some. Mm-hmm. I'd help him get into some. Um and again, it was just this extension of, you know, I was writing for Forbes. I was getting to interview with some really cool people. But it was also an opportunity for me to meet more people that I could ask for jobs from. I get back. It's right around the time of, like, graduation. My parents are, like, obviously anticipating a, oh, uh, a transcript. Yeah. It's, like, the one part you don't really <gasps> think about. So, like, I just, like, got out of the conversation. I just, like, continued to just, like, I'm not going to talk about this. I'm not going to talk about this. I'm not going to talk about this. Comes up a month later because my parents were still paying for my auto insurance at this point. And what they, does that have to do with this? Because you get a discount if you have a good transcript. Oh no! 
So my mom's like, we need to see your transcript because I need to get this so we can like get this discount on it. Heart sank. I'm like, what do I, I can't, this one I can't get out of. It's just not going to happen. I'm you not going to get this. Insurance fraud. <laughs> I can't do that. I, but I, for a week, I'm sitting there thinking my two options are faking a transcript, yeah. which I did. I had the fake one ready. But that's insurance fraud, and it's an actual, like, federal offense. Mm-hmm. Or I just try to think of some way to get out of this and, like, have a reason of why I have only W's on my transcript. Obviously, after a week of a lot of deliberation, decided I can't commit insurance fraud. So I had this conversation with my mom. I mean, this big sob story, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I lied to you. My grades were so horrible when I came back from the Cannes Film Festival that my counselor told me that it was better for me to drop out of my classes and have W's in my transcript than to have, like, straight D's. And she believed it. But she must have been heartbroken. Still, she was like, I only let you go because you said you had good grades. Like, you lied to me. Yeah. And the problem is, like, I was still lying. It just, it still wasn't the truth. Again, I'm so sorry. I feel bad saying the story right now. Um, But doesn't do you kind of want to come clean to them at this point? I mean, you're incredibly successful. No, because at that no, but at that point, it still wasn't anything. No, but at this point, it still wasn't. Oh, oh, today. It's one of those things of like, like why cause an issue if you don't have to? But I'm asking, does the guilt weigh on you at all with your parents when you see them? Yeah, so not really. I I don't like right now. I feel guilty saying this. Of course, because you're talking about. And also, I'm thinking like when you're a parent, like you just like. You know, you hope your kid is doing the right thing. And, and yeah. to think that, like, your kid is doing something completely different and you have no idea, that's terrifying. Like, me, as a future parent, I, I would be terrified if I found this out. Yeah. Thankfully, it was for good things and I was working and I was just, like, trying to have a career in the industry. But that doesn't change the fact that you're like, Yeah, I think why I'm, like, what's – not that I'm, like, what's the big deal, but I think the – but, like, you weren't hurting anyone except you were emotionally hurting your parents. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't know that they were being emotionally hurt. So it's like a big white lie. 100%. And that summer, I just had the conversation with them of saying, I am not going back to school. I was like, I ha- give me a year. Like, let me have a year. Let me just try. Were, were you a good kid growing up? Like, were your parents kind of blindsided by this behavior? I, I Surprisingly, I was. I, I didn't. I, my parents were very open. I think because my parents kind of raised me the European style of like, if you want to have a drink, mm-hmm. drinks have right over here. there. Have it here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of that, I never had a drink. I yeah. just had no interest in having a drink. Yeah. I was like, I, don't, I think I just know I hate the taste, so I don't mm-hmm. need it. And like, I, even though I was like 18 and like in Cannes and surrounded by literally all my friends at this point were like 28 and 29, I was just like, I don't need to. Like, I kind of just like like being me. And but I when they saw these horrible grades at community college, were they like, he's doing drugs? Well, no, because like, it was W's. So I didn't even have grades. But yeah, I think there was like fears of like, what's this kid it. doing? I am going to Cannes, and I'm saying I'm a good kid, but they don't. They don't. They don't know. actually know you're going to Cannes. Um, so much so that, like, honestly, it's because I didn't really have friends in high school because it just wasn't the place for me. Like, I, for some reason, I, I had always kept up this image with them that I wanted them to, like, think of me a certain way. This is kind of a sad story. When I was, like, a junior and senior in high school, on, like, a Friday or Saturday night, because I didn't want them to think that I didn't really have any friends, I would tell them going to a party. And I kind of avoided parties because I didn't want to drink. Yeah, same. And so I would get in my car and I would drive away on a Friday night. I would literally just, like, park my car in a parking lot and just, like, be on my phone. And then I would come back at, like, one in the morning and be like, I went to a party. That was it. Oh. You're like, it's okay. Um, I feel very lucky to have a lot of friends now. I think the internet's going to love you for that one. <laughs> and so, like, I don't know. I always, like, kind of – I'm thankfully not like this anymore, but I always like, felt like I kept this image up of, like, wanting to present a certain way and, like, be like I was okay. Even to your parents. Even though, to my that's parents. That's so interesting. I know. Like, tears falling from my face. That summer, I start working a lot of music video sets – 
I'm making more money. I'm not making enough money. Like, I can't move out. I definitely, LA is very expensive. Yeah. I didn't have friends that were also getting apartments. This wasn't like a, let me pay $4,000 a month to have a studio. So I'm still living at my parents' place. Again, cannot stress enough. That is Persian. Mm-hmm. Um, no one in my family has a college degree. My mom has a community college degree. Um, my dad went to university for four years but didn't graduate. It was really important that I got a college degree to them. And there was also no world I was getting a college degree. And at this point, I had committed to it. So I asked them to give me a year. But looking back, like, especially for parents that don't come from the industry, you know, what is the barrier of success that when you're 19 years old, if you give yourself 12 months that you're going to say, like, I made it? Like, that's just not how it works. Like, yeah. most people in the industry, like, directors have their big break when they're 35 years old. Yeah. That is nowhere near what I am. And yeah. Maybe yes, if I have a job for a producer, like they would say something. But even then, I think they wouldn't. They wouldn't have really mm-hmm. been a fan of it. So I needed to make money. Gave the context of I really enjoyed like throwing a party every now and then. Um, and so now getting to like January 2016, 2017 at this point, um, I really wanted to go to the Sundance Film Festival, and I had my Forbes credential still. And so I got a festival pass, and I'm mm-hmm. like, I can literally go to any movie I want. I can interview anyone I want. I have to go. Literally no money to go. It's super fucking expensive for housing. It's really expensive for getting around transportation-wise. And it's expensive to get an Airbnb. And so there, I had a few friends at this point that also wanted to go. They also didn't have money to go. And so we sat there and we said, what if we threw a party? And we just like made a deal with the bar and we just like took money from the bar and that's how we paid to go for the party. Go. So we came up with this idea of like, we'll throw a Sundance pre-party. And we won't tell anyone who's throwing it. And we'll like start all these rumors that it was like Leo's throwing it and <laughs> CIA's throwing it and all this stuff. And we like sent all these, we created an email on a website and flyers. Um, and we said that the Sundance kids were throwing it, but no one knew who that was. And all of these people signed up, like agents and no young way. actors and young producers. It like became this thing. We took over this place called Blind Dragon. Um and it was a huge hit. And the bar made like, I don't know how much. It made like ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 at the bar. And so we made our cut. And it was like enough for us to go to this thing. And so when we came back from the festival, we just remembered thinking, you know what? We don't make enough money. We like don't make money right now during the day. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're interning or we're working for other people. It's not enough to do anything. Could make a lot of money promoting. Mm-hmm. And we can go out two, three nights a week, throw parties with our friends, and make $500 each a night. And that's way more than I could ever make if I was also working at Starbucks on the yeah. side. Again, my parents were found out that I was club promoting. Were you 21 at this time or can you promote at 18? You can't promote at 18, but I was 18. Okay. I think by this point, maybe I'm 19. Um, for those reasons, I'm not going like, to mention the places that yeah, I worked. Um, but it became a two-year system of throwing parties and making money. And I was entirely sober the entire time. Like, still had never even had a drink. And we're like wearing suits and we're like throwing these parties every like three times a week. And it actually became, I even to this day think that if anyone wants to learn how to produce, you should actually maybe at some point try club promoting in your life. Only because it teaches you a lot about like keeping people happy. Mm-hmm. If you're in a big city, you meet a lot of people. Yeah. Everyone wants to go out. Everyone wants like to know who they need to know in order to get into a club. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that point on, I mean, I, I actually like consider that the start of my producing career only because it's where I met every single actor friend I'd ever worked with wow. from that point on. It's how I made the money that it allowed me to eventually move out and, and start an actual career. And it just taught a lot of street smarts. It just was, it was, it was my college. That and the podcast were, were my two college experiences, yeah. which is why we, the me, it's me, my friend Enzo Mark, this kid Charlie Oldman, 
and his brother Gulliver, but he didn't get that tattoo. We we all have a Sundance kid tattoo because it just for us it's like it was the start of everything. Like we're these kids, and this is how we started. This is it all goes back to that. That's really cool. That's a cool tattoo. So that's kind of that's kind of it. I mean, I feel like. Um, well, no, because I, I need to understand. Do your parents know the significance of that t- so tattoo? They don't even know I have a tattoo. My what? mom, my yeah, mom, do you have short sleeve shirts? My on? mom, like a like, like a week ago, ass. was like kind of like, "What's this?" Um, and really? I was like, "When did you get the tattoo?" I got it in January this year. Oh, this year. Yeah, I was gonna say like, are we looking at like five years? Your mom's yeah. never seen you in no, 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 no. I I didn't get tattoos till a little recently. Um, so I feel like important to mention my in my parents' eyes, mm-hmm. I'm not going to school. Yeah. I'm out very late at night, mm-hmm. and I'm claiming that I'm not drinking. Yeah. But why the hell is our son Adam coming home at three in the morning on a Sunday night? And I'm telling them where I'm going. Mm-hmm. I'm telling them I'm going to this event. And I wish I like actually wish I could say like, Mom and Dad, you have no idea. I'm making all of this money so I can afford to work during the day. What was your relationship with them like? It like, was just fear. It was I know, fear but did of you like consider yourself close to your parents before all this. Like, were yeah. you vulnerable with them before if stuff was going? I, I mean, wouldn't. I wouldn't say vulnerable, only because like I then realized like I definitely was like bullied a lot in elementary, middle school, and high school. Like they definitely didn't know that till like. Well, yeah. I mean, recently. your whole going out story in high school, like it's not like you no. felt like you could be like. So I, hey, I kind of always was like, oh, like these are my issues, and I'll deal with them, and like I don't want to bother them with these issues. Um, and so that's what sucked is like I actually wish I could just have this conversation, be like, no, you don't understand. Like I'm a business person. Like I am doing this because you think I need you to make money. Wouldn't have been taken seriously. No, I, I remember I teased it one time before the Sundance thing, and I said like, "Hey, like this guy said that we can make money if we throw a party." And my, I remember my parents like freaked out, just being like, "We are not having you be yeah. a college dropout and a club promoter. Like, are you kidding me? Like, if you're going to club promote, you're going back to fucking school." So from that, I would like realize learning lesson. Can't tell them about this either. Um, but it was funny because it was like I had never made more money in my life, and I and it actually was like starting my you. producing career. No. But they weren't like... They actually, I don't even know. I don't, I've kind of said now, I've kind of told them that I used to club promote, but mm-hmm. they still don't really know that either. But they, they weren't like monitoring when you'd come home at night. There was no like... No, they were. They were like, why the, the fuck? Door. And I, I would tell them. I'd be very honest. I'd say exactly where I was going. But, what do you mean? You'd say I'm going to this club? Yeah. And I would say, oh, it's LA. They don't really care about IDs and like, which yeah. is true. Yeah. Um, but in their minds, I was just like a degenerate kid that was coming home really Which late at night. Which oddly was better to them than you being sober behind the scene making the money. Because I don't think you can like, no, no matter how many times you say it, you it. also like can't convince some of someone that like wants to see it a certain way that like, no, this is like a part of a long plan. And like, I, this is, it's, this is going to happen than this, than this, than this, than this. So when did you hit a point with your parents of telling them the truth about what you do, where you're at in your life? Like to this day, like, I mean, you, I don't think I ever really did. I think there was a point where do the they real realize work how successful over. you are at this point? Do they I know wanna, you have a blue check mark on Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They, they now are very happy. They yeah. now are very happy. They agree with me that it was better that I didn't go to school. They, agree that it was just like you had to do your thing and mm-hmm. look we had to be really strict on you because this is not an easy thing and mm-hmm. like maybe that made it better and I actually do agree like for as much pain as it caused um it made me a better a stronger person it made me you know probably more resilient made me work a lot harder because I like I had there was no other option you know yeah. it's like when people say like what, what happens if you don't make it it's like I have to there is no other option I don't have a degree and this is my only life why would yeah. I why would I spend this whole life doing something I don't want to do I have to do this one thing that I know that I am good at um, and so I think the, what was really cool about the club promoting thing was I met a lot of young actors who were like mm-hmm. my age at the same time. So I'm like, I'm 19, 20, they're 19, 20. Um, and I would just say to them, I feel like I'm saying and a lot, I'm sorry. No, you're not. And they, uh, I'll they, cut it every single time. They, I would just tell them I'm, I'm, I'm 
want to learn. I want to read more scripts. I've yeah. read scripts in the past. I have opinions of scripts. If you just start sending me the scripts that you're being sent, mm-hmm. I would love to read them and give you exactly my, my honest opinion of what it is. And and it was funny because I think after that, it created this like sort of relationship with a lot of people of they'd send a script to me. I would read it that night, like my honest opinion, and they would either do it or not do it. And a lot of times it was usually because I... That's I'm not even so going to give nice myself credit. I would read it that night. But I was just like, because I, I wanted to learn. And I, these are really good scripts. These are huge Netflix movies and huge Universe Studios movies. Like, now where am I? No, like the, at the time. Like these oh, these wow. kids were like, you know, booking really cool things. And so that was, it was just such an incredible opportunity to be reading stuff that was millions of dollars of budget per episode or, you know, multi, you know, 50, 60 million dollar movie budget. Um, and so when it was finally time for me to start sending scripts around, I think they it, it created this relationship of like okay well if like you want to do this then like it must mean a little bit of something because like we you've read all these things and you have an opinion of, yeah. of this and that um so it's funny like in work wise you know i i decided to start a production company uh when i was i think 22 at this point or maybe i was 20 no i was 21 at this point uh it's called must be nice mm-hmm. we launched it it was me and a producing partner we started a production company it's called must be nice mm-hmm. We announced the company it's February 29th, 2020. Ooh, that was a great time to start. Great time. Public things. Great time to start public things. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of things in my life was always like I wanted to start something mm-hmm. and then something would be a blocker, but that ended up being the greatest thing possible. Yeah, I feel that. So like a week into COVID, I just remember thinking, and it's funny how podcasts always saved everything for me. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking every actor I know is home. Every writer I know is home. Why the hell are we just not starting a scripted podcast series of stories inspired by COVID that are like funny and romantic and yeah. not depressing and terrifying yeah. like the news was at the time? So I reached out to every single writer I knew and I said, just send me a 15 to 20 page script mm-hmm. of as if it's a TV show of something, whether it's a story about you quarantine with your parents mm-hmm. or a story about going on a first date during COVID mm-hmm. or how your life, just like anything that like could be maybe relieving for someone to hear. Yeah. And these scripts started piling in, and they were really, really good. Um, and we just created this radio drama called Day by Day, where twice a week, be 20-minute episodes, mm-hmm. we'd have a different story. My friend Beckett Cerny is, like, the absolute genius behind it all. would do original sound design for everything. So it's like, Crazy. if in the script, like, a cup is drank, you would do the sounds, and someone's walking, and the door's closing. Like, all of this, if you listen to it, it's a full Hollywood production. And we had everyone from... Cami Mendez and Sydney Sweeney and Lucas Hedges and wow. um, even like Margot Martindale. It just became because nothing else was going on. They yeah, couldn't do anything. anything. And every like episode highlighted a charity. So it, it just was like, I get to talk. If you're an actor, it's like I get to talk about what's going on right now. I get mm-hmm. to maybe help some people that are fans of mine. I get to help this charity and get them attention. Uh, and like, what, what do you have to lose? It's a massive win-win. And so we, we have everyone record the, I would give them the scripts. They would record the audio on their own, not hearing the other actors in their closet, on their iPhones. We came up with this like, figured out how to get the best audio out of an iPhone. And then I would get all the audio files back, which was the biggest pain in my life. Sometimes it'd be like 12 actors in an episode. And then I would cut it all together. So it would sound like they're having conversations with each other. Of course. And, you know, they're walking in the room and this and that, which they weren't. They mm-hmm. were in their closets. And we did like, I, I don't remember the exact episode. It's probably like 20, uh, somewhere between like 25 and 30 episodes. Probably like eight hours in total of original content. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did the whole thing for $100. Because it just was like, this is a did public you make, domain. Like, did you like get project. a distribution deal? No, and I think we couldn't because we didn't really own anything. Like I yeah. didn't license any of the scripts, didn't license any of the actors, didn't contract anybody. It was mm-hmm. just like let's just make something really cool. But we had half a million downloads, and ninety percent of the listeners were between the ages of like eighteen and twenty-four. It's amazing. Um, it was just a huge learning lesson of 
if we pitch this around town, it probably would be coming out like today for a million dollar budget yeah. with maybe one one hundredth of the actors we had in the show. And it's like, you just got to do the shit yourself. Like no one's going to help you. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing, but you know how to use these things. You have all the tools at your disposal. Just like, just do it. Um, and so we, we produced, uh, when things started opening up, we did a bunch more music videos. I started a separate company at the end of 2020 um, where I did a lot of, I did like commercials for Nike and did like music video for Jeezy and Juicy J. I didn't and, know any of this. Um, did, I did a feature film that is incredible and I, not because of anything I did, just it's really talented team behind it and it'll come out someday. Um, you say someday or Sunday? Someday. Okay. I was like, wow, still, okay, still Sunday, close. guys. Yeah. Um, but I hit a point in June of, of 2021 where I was just like, I was just so miserable. I, was, I, I missed actually having a partner. I, it was a lot to do by yourself. It's really hard to be someone that has to be creative and like think of projects and find people for them, but also be your own accountant and your own lawyer and your own you know, BA, it just was like way too much. Yeah, and I was like, not I, enough time in the day. And I also didn't even see the path forward. I'm like, I don't want to go make movies. I, I, I was the person that pre-pandemic would go see three movies a week and I'd been to the movies twice since then and I spent two hours a day on TikTok mm-hmm. um, seeing all the awful things people said about me. Um, and I was just like, I, I think I want to go learn the studio side of things that I had never learned before. So I... Asked a few friends, I was like, I'm willing, I want to go be an assistant somewhere. Like, I just, but for the right person. Like, mm-hmm. I, I will gladly wow, eat shit no one if really it's like the right shit, you know? Yeah. And so, Annapurna Pictures at the time was restarting their film division. I was the biggest fan of Annapurna Pictures growing up. I just remember like salivating over any article that would come out because it was like so secretive. Megan Allison was like so fucking cool. And they were making these, like, Paul Thomas Anderson movies. And I was like my favorite director in the world at the time. So when the opportunity came up, I was like, this is exactly it. I talked to this guy, Adam Paulson, who was starting the, comp- the starting the film division up again. And he kind of, he was scared of taking me on because I think he knew that I probably didn't want to stay mm-hmm. longer than I ha- had to. As an assistant. But he was also really a g- amazing boss because there was so many other things going on. And he was kind of like, maybe you want to start the digital division This was here. a year ago? This is last summer. It's like, maybe you want to like start Jesus. a film division. Maybe, I mean, the start a digital division, like... I became like the web three person there, which I always like joke that everyone is like literally just because I was 24. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just like amazing people there. I think what was really hard for me was at the same time of realizing that I didn't actually really want to like I, I just was like, I don't really watch movies anymore. Mm-hmm. It's also really hard because it takes a long time to make a movie. <laughs> I would read these scripts every single weekend and they're all amazing. But even the most amazing scripts, if we agreed to make this movie. Mm-hmm. It would at best come out four years from now. And I'm like, yeah. I'm 24 right now. Or I was, yeah, or yeah, I was 24 at the time. Um, I'd be 28 when this comes out. And maybe 100 people in LA watch this and they're like, oh. Yeah, you kind of quoted this. Amazing, where you were amazing like, movie. This is yeah. so good. Pat yourself on the back. And I'm like, what is this doing? Like, meanwhile, a TikTok can be made. This video can be made, have a million views tomorrow. And like, not that that has the same weight as Get Out coming mm-hmm. out, but at the same time, it's being seen by a lot more people. Yeah. And how do you use those tools to make really cool stories and get a lot more people like compelling content? Mm-hmm. How do you do that instead of hoping that the movie industry maybe goes back to normal one day? Mm-hmm. And I don't think it ever will. And that's not, I used to be really sad about that because I was the kid that grew up thinking, oh my God, if only I lived in the 70s when like Francis Ford Coppola was making movies and Brian De Palma. And 
I think we're entering that moment now. Not that I'm saying there's going to be a renaissance of TikTokers, mm -hmm. but at the same time, that only happens when there's a huge death of an industry. And I think, like, not to there is a death of an talk badly right about the streaming no. services, but, like, no, I don't think the majority of films coming on Netflix right now have anything of quality to them. Um, and it's not because of the filmmakers' fault. Are it, you it's still just watching movies? Not at all. And I, by the way, I, I've missed some really amazing movies last year, like Worst Person in the World and Drive My Car, which I know I need to see. And I think I, I just maybe have gotten ADHD through COVID and just mm -hmm. like have a hard time watching movies now. Um, well, I think TikTok did that to our 100%. generation. And it's just, our it's really hard. Our generation wouldn't have survived COVID without TikTok. No, not at all. I really feel that way. It was like both what kept us alive and what's killing us. It's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's a drug. It's a drug. Um, and I, I think I just... Um, I just had a moment of thinking I have to look internally. I'm, I, this is not what I want to do with my life. I feel really bad for the people wow. that feel like I wasted their time. And it's so funny. I became obsessed with this idea of wanting to do unscripted content. I was like, I really want to, I want to reinvent the talk show and have like, do something really cool with that. I want to figure out like a new way to do game shows, a mm -hmm. new way to do this. Because like unscripted content was like a much faster turnaround time mm -hmm. and could work digitally really, really well. Yeah. And also was starting to see how much money was coming into the crypto space and that this was like a whole new industry that was burgeoning. I was not a crypto person at the time. I had never had bought Ethereum before. I never bought Bitcoin. I was someone that was not, I didn't see uh, the future in it. Mm -hmm. um, I would get really annoyed by my friend Jackson who just would continue to tell me about yeah. it every single day. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I get it. I get it. There's a lot of money. I get it. I think I'm like you a year ago now yeah. with this. With what you're working on, I'm and like, I, well, I don't get it. What's I don't get going it. on? I'm like, it's, okay, there's money, but then it's crashing, and it's like, something. what's happening? Yeah. You know. Um, and it was really funny because, like, in November, I was at a friend's wedding, and Jackson hit me up and said, "There's these two girls, Devin and Alice, mm -hmm. and they have a really wacky idea, and I think you should talk to them about it." And so I met them. They were halfway through this like mirror crowdfund where they were selling these. NFTs that were just roses. They literally looked like roses. Mm -hmm. Everything one looked exactly the same. But their utility was that you, if you bought this, you would one day get to interact with this dating show that would someday get made. Mm -hmm. And they were talking to production companies at the time. And I was like, don't do that because these production companies are going to charge you so much money. Yeah. I have a lot of producer friends in New York. Like, I'm going to connect you with them. They would be amazing to do this project. And every day for a month after that, Devin and Alice texted me saying like, Okay, obviously you're coming to New York and doing this. So like let's like stop playing. So games. that's really why you moved to New York. So I in December, I a lot of things in my life were changing. I was coming out of a lot of things. And I I was like it's really rare after years of pitching things in Hollywood and just like watching them get stuck. And it's like then even if you are the luckiest person in the world and something sells, you just watch your dreams slowly get taken away from you as other people put their hands on. Yeah, that's how I feel right now. It's terrifying. And it's like, and then what? This thing that's really special to me right now comes out 10 years from now when I don't even care about it anymore. And 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 then what? Like that, then I'm defined by this, even though I have so many new ideas because it's been 10 years of me writing more things. Mm. Devin announced this proposition of like, we have the money. We're going to finish this crowdfund, which was going to end up around half a million dollars. Why don't you come to New York and just produce the show for us? Mm -hmm. And like, let's like think about all things we can do together. Yeah. What an amazing offer. And, and like, how lucky am I that this, like, fell in my lap? And so right before Christmas, I signed up and I agreed to produce the show. And they built this insane website that pretty much looked like Tinder. And anyone in the world can nominate their friends to come on the show if they lived in New York or over the age of 21. For the record, this is a show that I met Adam through doing. It finally comes full circle. And one of our, I would say one of our mutual best friends right yeah. now, Sarah, um, is how we met. 100%. Because Sarah did all the marketing for the show and she's incredible. And she's one of the most talented people I've ever met in my entire life. Mm -hmm. um, 
they built this website that looked like Tinder. Anyone could nominate their friends to come on the show. And the people that own these NFTs could swipe left and right on who they wanted to see cast in the show. Yeah. So it was like kind of like, a, like you said, original. It's kind of like a video game. And we came up with this idea. I think Devin and Alice and these writers, Anya Kopian and Susie Shen, all kind of worked on this together. Um, and the concept was it's called Proof of Love. Mm-hmm. And there would be a bachelor or bachelorette every episode, four people trying to go on a date with them. And over the course of three challenges, and I like hired everyone from a doula to teach them birthing exercises, like a couples therapist to mm-hmm. put them through therapy, they would pick one person to go on a real life date with, and we would offer that person money to walk away from the show. So do they actually want to go on a date? Or are they there for clout and just want money in their pocket? Like, let's like see if we can like kind of make fun of dating shows and see like what really happens. Surprisingly, only one person took the money. That may be because there was also a part of it that if you won in a real life date, you were going to come back in our season finale as a couple mm-hmm. to compete for a little more money. It wasn't that much more money, but like, you know, it was like 12, 15K. If you watch the episode, I don't think you'll be surprised that he took the I money. I don't think you'll be surprised, but you have to watch the whole show before Not you watch the finale. Not to hate on her, but like I kind of. Okay. Um, and what we did was we filmed these episodes on Wednesdays. Um, we would cast them on Tuesdays. We shoot it on Wednesdays in our office. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, me and Ari, who was the guest earlier, would be editing this in the office. Ari's like sleeping in the office to yeah, make this come out. Yeah, You guys Sunday, insane. literally insane. Sundays, we would premiere the episode on YouTube, and then we'd also do these live premieres in Soho, where anyone that owned an NFT could come, especially and also like friends. And not just live premiere, like open bar. Yeah, it was crazy. There. Shots at the door when you walk in. Like the bathroom was curated. <laughs> it was an unbelievable. Shout out Bright Moments Soho. They were like an amazing. For months and so you would come into the space and you would watch the episode and it was like a, everyone like was in a different mood when they came there it was sunday yeah. nights but like for some reason everyone was like on one in the best way no it was great i went to everyone and you would come you would watch the episode for like half an hour mm-hmm. and then we would do this live talk show afterwards where we had like five camera operators we'd bring the winning couple back have like celebrity guest judges they'd put them in the hot seat and because anyone that was on the show was a real life new yorker mm-hmm. who's 22 of course we knew all this extra stuff about them so mm-hmm. We would have someone come from the audience and be like, I heard you went on a blind date last night. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh. Or in you my know. case, I went on the show and I had a girlfriend. And we knew. And that was fucked up. And we brought her on the show. Mm-hmm. And so I always said the after show was like Jerry Springer by way of Eric Andre, because it was just like also mm-hmm. bizarre. And we had like this guy, Danny Love, who's a legend in New York. Mm-hmm. He's like 75 year old who plays piano at Sammy's Romanian restaurant, like singing New York, New York. Like it just was like yeah. wacky. And I think it was really messy. There's a lot of it that didn't work. But I think for anyone that came, you kind of believed in this like longer term like oh this might be something and like yeah there's here's a bunch of young people that are like trying to figure something out like i yeah i also like see myself i could be on this show like i could want to work on this well it's funny you saying all this because like you saying earlier that you felt maybe like six or seven years ago that you were in this wave of like oh when you when you were doing the club promoting and you were meeting all these young people you were like are we like the next wave of people? Yeah, 100%. That's how I feel about, 100%. I mean, I'll make it broad, like our friend group yeah, right now. Like this, like we're all we're doing the thing now. This group like we're of tr- people actually trying. that we're in, I'm like, holy shit, are we the next wave? I mean, I don't mean that in a cocky way, yeah. but it's just, it's true. Like y- you guys are doing some really cool shit. Yeah. And I love watching it. it I mean, you were in it. I love watching you in it. And I and then the, the, the part that Molly came in, we did the season finale and... At this point, the in-person audience, had, like the online audience didn't grow at all yet. And the in-person grew from like 100 people to 200, 300. And so by the time it was for the fifth episode, we had grown so big that we rented out Webster Hall and we completely sold out like a thousand tickets in three days. It was insane. And it was fucking and crazy. there were celebrities there, like real celebrities. There's some there's some people there. And I, I think it's funny because like usually when you have something like this, you have many photographers and you kind of mm-hmm. like cheat it and you're like... Let's like show this photo. It yeah. makes it look like it's a lot of people. But like every photo, I'm swiping through the next day. I'm like, what no, the fuck out. is happening? This is fucking crazy. In the balconies. And like we had 
you know, a marching band. We had the eight contestants. Mm-hmm. We had like 12 guest judges, like two hosts, two fucking confetti guns. It was like an after party. The wildest like explosion. And like, again, you watch it, it's really messy. But you see that we're like just like trying to You're figure out this like new it. thing. And it's been, you know, I, again, I was supposed to come to New York. I came here like January 29th. I was supposed to come here for two months to produce the show. Within two weeks, I was like, this is like, I'm here. I live in New York now. I do this. I'm now like, you know, joined as like a late stage co-founder and had running creative with that. So making this full circle, what the fuck do your parents think about it? So now, and especially it's funny because like my dad wanting me to be in tech too, was like a big dream of his. It's like now it's almost like I did the perfect thing, which is like I'm in entertainment and doing my thing in entertainment, but it's also for a tech startup. And there's like tech money in it. And it's not the same as like, hey, dad, I want to go make an indie movie. Yeah. Um, and so they're so thrilled. They love Devin and Alice. They like came and saw one of the episodes. You they like not love Devin and can't Alice, believe right? that like we're all just like doing this thing in New York. I think it's like freaking out my parents a little bit that I am moving here. And um I actually think they didn't think about it so much until they came here and saw that I, like, made a new life here and, like, have friends and, you know, have an apartment now. And I think now that they saw that, now they're they're freaking out because they're like, oh, my God, he actually lives in New York. Um, But now they're super happy about it. And I I feel like if this were to – I'm not going to willingly send this to them, but if if they somehow saw this, Uh I think, you know, they still would be like, why the fuck didn't you tell us? Yeah. But I think they'd be fine. Let's leave it at that. That was a great end of the story. Um, the last question I ask everyone, and you know what? I could ask this for you for LA or New York, but let's go New York because favorite restaurant, favorite place to eat, like doesn't have to be, you know, oh, you're in New York this one time, go to this spot. But like, what's your favorite deli? Like, what's your, where does Adam Faze go? New York and LA. Let's hear both. Fully, fully dox myself. My favorite restaurant in LA is this place called Marvin. Okay. Anytime I'm in LA, if I go back for a week now, it's literally the place I go when okay, I land. Okay, go to thing there. What do you get? Uh, you got to get the arugula salad. Mm-hmm. You get the bolognese. Mm. The dessert, though. They have this one dessert. It's the strawberries and cream. It's just mm. literally a bowl of strawberries with like cream. fresh made whipped cream on top and then the bowl of sugar. And you just like pour the Insane. sugar on it. It's, it's the greatest thing on it. Okay. Other so coast. simple. New York. New York. I feel like this answer is going to change soon, but I love the Bowery Hotel. And there's this restaurant Gemma there. Yeah, it's not great. It's not like it's the best meal in New York, but it's just like that an amazing. That was a lot of people's favorite spot in college. It's just like you go and you have a drink and you have like kind of just kind of whatever Italian food, but it's just like the place yeah. is amazing. And no, there's so much history vibe. in the hotel and like I just like love hanging out there. I think they used to have music in the lobby and I don't mm-hmm. know if they do anymore and it's like a little quiet in the lobby now, but I would say in the most pretentious way possible, having the food from Gemma in the lobby at the Bowery is, my the, favorite thing in New York. is your favorite spot in New York. Thank you for coming on, Adam. Thanks for having me. Rock. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and follow the podcast wherever it is you listen to it so that we can bring you more unexpected stories by ordinary people. And if you didn't like the episode, forget what I just said and just please don't tell anyone.